The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Gap between what we are and what we know we're supposed to be. There's, there's a distance there. We see it sometimes in how we speak and how we behave publicly, but particularly in your known private secret life and the stuff that's in your head and in your heart and the things you, you desire and nobody else knows. Now, this is a reality. We, we're just not right. And I don't mean to say that as an accusation, just, just as an acknowledgement. That's, that's reality. We fall short of even our own ideals. And we fall short of what others want and need from us and what society expects. And we fall short of what God requires. We just aren't what we are supposed to be. And for some people, as they realize this, it kind of sends us all off into different directions of trying to, to fix and improve ourselves, all with mixed success, because we, we can grow. We can pursue different ways of getting better at different things. And, and sure, there, there is a possibility of change and growth, but it's never enough. It's never quite right. We never close the gap completely. There's always this thing that says we should be more. And then some people recognizing that go in the other direction and just get rid of all sense of ought. I can't live up to that, so just forget it all. I'm just going to do whatever feels right to me in the moment. I'm going to be me, which is chaotic and, of course, doesn't work because we still fall short of our own standards and we are very aware of when we hurt or let down those that we love and care about. And God has a persistent way of kind of poking us and making us aware of what he requires and showing us our failure. And... Ironically, wonderfully, God also has a way of helping people come to meet those standards. This is some of the beauty of the one true God who is, the God of the Bible. That he, he holds up standard, and he does hold up standard. That's what his law is about. This is who I am. This is what you are required to be. And he doesn't throw that away when we fail, and he doesn't, doesn't kind of reduce it. He, he holds that standard up and then also wonderfully provides a way to help stitch close this gap between what he requires and what we actually are. He provides a way, and he has a way of persistently making that known also, that here's how you close the gap. Here's how I close the gap for you. what brings us to our passage today in the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, something that is particularly glorious in this gospel, this, this new covenant ministry. It has the power to heal us, to fix us, all from God. So we've been working through this chapter. We've seen the Apostle Paul enthusiastically lifting up the new covenant and defending it from some attacks from some people there in Corinth who, for one reason or another, were, were against it, largely because they'd been influenced to think that the old covenant given by Moses was superior in some way, that, that it was better. But as we saw, chapter 3 is full of Paul's counter-arguments as he's explaining, no, this new covenant is the covenant of the Spirit. 
It's not a covenant written on stone tablets outside of us, at best stuck to us. This is the covenant of the Spirit of God within, writing on our hearts. And this is not a covenant that brings then death as we fail and condemnation. This is a covenant that brings spirit-wrought life, brings righteousness. So that in verse 9, that puts us right with God, that, that this is, he's getting at it already, this is what puts us back together with him. And, and yes, indeed, the old covenant given through Moses was glorious, but it was a glory that was fading as it was leading to the glory of the new covenant that was coming. And this one lasts. It's permanent. It is permanent, and therefore it is permanently glorious. That was verse 11, which brings us to our passage this morning. It's permanent, it's permanently glorious, and it changes us. That's what we're going to look at today. This glorious, permanent covenant that changes us, that fixes us, that heals us. So let me read, beginning of verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll draw out two observations from this section. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Two observations, here's the first. The lasting wonder of the new covenant means to create ministry confidence. The lasting wonder of the new covenant means to, it's, it's intended to, it's supposed to, it should, create ministry confidence in Christians. Verse 12 comes right out of verse 11 and what's come before it. That which is glorious and that which is permanent, this ministry of righteousness, it's not going anywhere. It's here, it lasts, it changes us. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Obviously, the hope of this covenant is what leads to boldness, very bold. Now, by very bold, he does not mean something like tough guy brash, kind of not afraid of anything, stand in the street corner and yell at thousands. That, that's not it. Sometimes we get hung up on some wrong impressions of what very bold looks like. And with such wrong impressions, maybe, you, maybe you're an introvert by nature or you're, you're just kind of naturally soft-spoken and you begin to read something like that and you say like, well... That's not me. I mean, very bold. I, I guess the Apostle Paul is very bold. Maybe some preachers that I know are very bold, but that's, that's just not me. I, I'm not there. It is you. It's meant to be you. 
It's something every Christian can be without having to change your personality. This is maybe encouraging to you. It was to me that I first kind of got my mind around this because I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't actually like being in front of people. And so when I kind of came to understand, maybe you'll understand this, that it's, it's not something that requires me to change my personality or my manner here. The word bold is more about revealing and making clear than it is about being loud and out there. That's not really it. We could say, instead of very bold, we could say very forthright, very open, instead of concealing and hiding. That's what he's getting at. Being forthright and open, not concealing, like was going on with Moses, verse 13. See, we talked about this a couple weeks back, but God made Moses' face to shine very brightly. When God, when God gave Moses the law and then God met with Moses in the tent of meeting, he made his face to shine very brightly. And then as Moses would go out and talk with the people, they couldn't take that for a variety of reasons. And so Moses put a veil over his face, covered it up, hiding some things, particularly the shining glory that was in the Old Covenant as it blazed, then was gradually diminishing as the new covenant was, was coming. Now, that was in Exodus, and Paul's using that story from Exodus to make a point here about how in God's big picture purpose and big picture timing, much glorious spiritual truth about, you know, pick something, say the Lamb of God that takes away sin, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, it's all written in the Old Testament. The, the Passover in, in the Old Testament about how they, would put the, they had to put the blood on the doorposts in, in Egypt and then the, the, the angel of death that would pass over, see the blood and not strike them dead. That's all written down in Moses in the Old Testament. It's there, but it's hidden sort of. It's not completely clear. But people didn't get it. So where all of that Old Testament is going, what it's pointing towards and, and fading away as, as Christ comes, it, it's, it was all pretty unclear. It was veiled, if you will. And in fact, still is. Paul, Paul would say, people sit in the synagogue every week and hear that read. They hear that story every year, all the time. I did, Paul would say. And don't connect the dots, didn't get it. It's, it's there, but it's, it's veiled because it's only overcome when one turns to Christ. We're, we're going to come to that eventually in the next point. But for now, the first point, what Paul's getting at here is that now we are ministers of the new covenant and the time of God veiling things is over. There are no more shadows and types and models. Now, it's all clear and plain as day if we, his ministers, will say it plainly and clearly. We'll say it in boldness. Which does sometimes take some courage to avoid being timid and self-protecting because you're worried about some sort of a consequence or an outcome. So yeah, courage is a part of this, but you can be courageous with a polite whisper. Many people are. 
You can be courageous with a smile and, and a very personal conversation across a table with a friend. You don't have to be yelling on a street corner. Very bold. It might be a whisper that's bold. You don't have to raise your voice to be bold. You don't have to be socially awkward or inappropriate. Being bold is not, necessarily, about ruffling feathers. In fact, it's just a different way of saying something that we've already seen in verses 4 and 5. To be very bold is to have confidence, like you said earlier. Confidence not in ourselves, but in God, who is at work in and through us. Remember, this is all building off of chapter 3. We look back and we see a confidence in God who is at work in us. God saved us. God gave us his spirit. God then assures us by his spirit of his presence in us and his power at work in us and through us. If you think about this, if, if this is rolling around your head and controlling you, then you come to verse 9 and you realize it is God who has worked to make me righteous and then God through me is offering righteousness to others which is a universal human need. Really, if we talk about the gap between what, what we are and what we're supposed to be, that's a gap of righteousness. We're not right, we're not righteous in the eyes of God. It is a universal human need. And then God makes us aware in the gospel that this is the only way for that to be closed. Christ crucified to pay for sin and put onto people his own righteousness. This is a universal human need that is only available in one place. And this one place is never going to be superseded by something else. Verse 11, it's permanent, it's glorious, it's universally needed, it's effective, and it's the last word from God. That's the hope. That's what makes us confident. Bold. Willing to state that truth without fear of consequences to summarize it all and put it simply, the magnitude, the glory, the necessity, and the permanence of the gospel. The magnitude, it touches everything for everyone. The glory, and it reveals the awesome God of mercy and grace and love and wisdom and power and justice. The necessity, Everybody needs it. And the permanence. It's not going anywhere. It's the last word. When that grips a person, it's magnitude and glory and necessity and permanence. That person is confident in God and in God's work and not worried about him or herself and what may come afterwards, after I speak clearly and frankly. That person, gripped by all of that reality, for him or herself first, will speak the truth in love of God and others and not be hung up loving self and protecting self. Last week, we talked about the heart behind a new covenant ministry. And to summarize all of that, what was clear is that we need to have a heart that is for people. A heart like Christ's, 
that loves people, that has concern and compassion for them and wants to see them helped. Well, this goes hand in glove with that. This, this new covenant message, the gospel, is what helps people. So if we, if we love people and we have experienced and know this message, then we see that to love people is to bring them this message clearly, with nothing hidden, just, just to make it known. And if this is gripping you, this heart that loves and this heart that knows will put those two things together and it will shape you like it shaped Paul and it will free you from fear of consequences. And this is helpful to notice because you can work it backwards and diagnose yourself. When you find yourself shrinking back from being clear, from being forthright about the message of the gospel, when, when you find yourself kind of maybe tempted to shave off the corners of this message or of some other biblical truth to kind of make it a little more palatable, help it fit in a little better with, with the view of the world, when you're less than forward-leaning and looking for ways to talk to people about the hope that is in you, in such situations, ask yourself, why am I not being bold here? In, in this sense, why am I not being bold now in this situation? What's going on? And maybe the answer is, well, because now's not quite the right time, not the right place. That could be true. Sometimes that is a legitimate answer. Boldness doesn't require folly or offensiveness. I mentioned this morning in the life training class that I often find myself in, in groups or in the presence of some sort of a third party with one person and some other folks who are around us. And when something comes up that, that in some way I, I recognize connects to the reason for the hope that's within me, and, and I'm aware of that, and I, I know what I might say, I also then find something in me kind of checking me. Because all these other folks here aren't, aren't here for that conversation. It would be hijacking the group conversation and it would be incredibly awkward. This one person would be actually kind of embarrassed if I kind of went there with him or her in the presence of these other folks who have no desire to talk about that and are going to wonder what we're doing. And so sometimes it isn't the right time or the place. And maybe that, maybe that arose then for me to just be aware and to trigger in me prayerfulness and Maybe some sort of an, of an initiative of some other time when we might have a different conversation, smaller group, one-on-one. -on -one. But then, there are other times when you're in a conversation with a person, and I've been here too a lot, for sure, when something comes up, it touches on the hope of the gospel, and I see what I could do with it, and I don't. And I shrink back. Why? Well, diagnose. Work through verse 12 and diagnose. Because sometimes it's because it's not the right time, and sometimes it's because the hope of chapter 3 is not actually my hope. 
I've, I've got it. I understand it. It's somewhere in my pocket. I, I know the truth. I've got it on me. But it's not right here. It's not present tense in my heart, if you will. It's not what I'm looking at as I'm looking at the world around me. It's not really my, my living and active hope. It's my back pocket hope. Well, my present tense hope is what I'm really leaning into and really depending on to make life work is a good relationship with this guy and where he doesn't look down on me and think, think less of me. That's what I really want. And so I'm not going to risk offending him. Or what I really want, what I'm really hoping in, is, is not all the chapter 3 stuff, not, not the sufficiency that my life is in Christ and the, and the security that his power is on me and the fact that he actually wants to bring righteousness to other people. That's a, what I really want is just the luxury of not having to mess with the complexity of this sort of a conversation right now. i got other things I'd rather do. This is inconvenient that that subject would come up now. I've got plans. Diagnose yourself. When you find yourself not very bold in, in this proper sense, not very bold, what's going on? It could be that it's not the right time, and it could be that just basically you're just afraid. That, that might be it too. That you love something else. Bryant said this morning in the life training class that really, for a, a lot of us, we don't have an evangelism problem. We have a love problem. That's a great quote. We don't have an evangelism problem. We have a love problem. We don't love God and neighbor. We love ourselves. And that might be the reason that I'm not very bold in situation X, Y, or Z. It doesn't suit me right now. Diagnose yourself. Face what's true. Maybe repentance is in order. Maybe a revisiting of these truths in chapter 3 and maybe you pull them out of your back pocket and, and as you revisit them and live in them and pray through them, you, you ask God, make them front and center in my life, please. Make these things real to me. Maybe revisit last week's sermon. Lord, help me to love people. Give me a heart like Jesus that is, that is full of compassion for others. And maybe also then you might be helped by just having a simple opening question or two. I don't mean to make this programmatic here, but sometimes, sometimes there's just a little bit of a, I don't know what the first thing to say is. Well, maybe something like when you're in a, a situation with a person to say, do you think that spiritual things, or do you think that God has anything to do with that? Seems to in my life. Obviously, there's a hundred situations. That's not the right question. But all I'm trying to say is that sometimes just having some opening question, some conversation starter, ends up starting a conversation. Then you can talk. But maybe part of the fear is I don't know how to actually start that. Start it with a question. We want to look for, we, we, we want to be a people who love others and recognize that this is the first and greatest way that we love others, is that, that we bring to them this message that can actually help them, can actually heal them, can fix them. It's what they need. And that starts with being gripped by this hope ourselves. And the next point, I think, at least for me, sketches out 
in some beautiful language one of the great things about this covenant. It talks about the healing. That's what we're going to turn to next. Second point. The new covenant restores us back into the glorious image of God. The new covenant restores us back into the glorious image of God. Then in verse 14, then again in 15, we see the problem the Israelites faced and still face. In fact, everyone faces a problem in the human heart. It's it's hidden because of our natures. It's not hidden because of God's manner of speaking anymore, but it's hidden because of something in our nature. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Only through Christ is it taken away, as he said in 15. If you're a Christian, you've probably personally experienced something this is about. I certainly have. I read the Bible a fair bit growing up. Had it read around me a fair bit. Heard a lot of it. And while certainly at one level I kind of understood it, it was in my native language, and I got the basic plot line, and I certainly understood the, the morals and the ethics that was, that was there in, in the Bible. In another way, I, I didn't really get it until I became a Christian. And then in the early part of college, I became a Christian, and then I began to recognize I'm seeing stuff in the Bible. The light began to go on, and I kind of got it. Have you ever seen one of those those 3D pictures that's kind of this geometric shapes of kind of a certain color hue. And it just looks like shapes until you, you look, you look, you look, you look. And I think you, what you have to do is like change your focal point and then there's a picture in there. One imprinted on my mind is of, is of a ship floating on an ocean. It looks just like blue triangles and squares until, you, until your vision changes. Then you can't unsee the boat that's right there. It's right there. How can you not see it? It's right there. That's the kind of thing that happens when one turns to Christ. The, the veil is removed. That's what Paul's getting at in 14, 15, 16. And part of the reason he's going into this is he's, he's got kind of a, a defensive purpose here. He's trying to explain, Paul, if this is right, how come nobody agrees with you? I mean, look around. Drop down to the local synagogue. They're all against you the ones who are still there at least, are all against you. And that's a question that we have too sometimes. We look around at the world and we say, how come so many people don't agree, don't, don't get this, don't see it like I do? Am I right? Well, the reason, Paul's explaining, because there's something in people, something that he calls hardness, metaphorically a veil. And to this point, the person who doesn't get it, it's because God has not opened their eyes, at least not yet. So it's worth noting that for understanding the world that's going on around us. But our attention for us really this morning is going to go in a little different direction. There's something more here that has more positive application for us, that's more for us. We now have, we've turned to Christ, we now have these open eyes, this veil has been removed, and so there's something good for us here. Look at verse 17 and following. Paul, speaking of our situation as Christians, he's talking about all Christians. In verse 18 he says, we all, means every Christian. So when a person turns to the Lord, turns to, to Christ, the veil is removed 
And what's going on there is that we are turning to the Lord. That is, we are turning to the Spirit, which has been all through this chapter, the the main point of emphasis. This is the covenant of God the Spirit. God the Father sends God the Son to the cross so that he can pour out God the Spirit into us. We now have come to the Spirit of God. The ministry of the Spirit then in our hearts does something. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, end of verse 17, there is freedom. That's what we got to focus on here. The veil's been taken away. The Spirit has come, and now there is a freedom that is ours. A precious reality that is not present in the world out there. We come to God by faith in Christ, and if you've done that, this is, this is you. This is not just theology, though it is that. This is your life. You are set free. Which means what? Verse 18. The Spirit is doing something. This comes from God the Spirit. That's the very end of the verse. Last sentence. Without that veil, now, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image. Bit by bit, by bit, by bit, by bit. This is you. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into Lord-likeness. A little bit of glory, a little bit more glory onto that, a little bit more, a little bit more. And he's talking about from glory to glory, that's about you. Ever since Genesis 3, Genesis 3 is where the, the gap opened up. If you can go to Genesis 3, the first couple of verses of Genesis 3 or into Genesis 2, so before the gap opened up between what we are and what we're supposed to be, before that, you, if you'd lived then, you would have been glorious. Not God. Gloriously like God, the image of God perfectly. Anybody walking around the garden would have seen you and said, That looks like God. Obviously, it's not God. It's a creature here in God's creation. But it looks, it images him to us. Wow, what glory. That's human beings as he made us to be. That's what he he intended. That's what he formed, a glorious creature, but a glorious God-like image of God, creation, Awesome. Wrecked. Along comes Genesis 3. And the gap opens up between what we're supposed to be and what we are. And ever since then, we've struggled with this problem. I'm not right. No, you're not. No, we're not. But, but, there's, an, but there's an idea that was and will be. And right now is coming about. Glory to glory to glory. Little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. 
The gap is being stitched closed one little stitch at a time by the Spirit of God. He's putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, little, little, little piece of shell by little piece of shell. Only he can do it, the Spirit of God. This is an awesome, an awesome offer. This is the sweetness of what God does in the new covenant, what's twisted and distorted and marred, shackled, enslaved to sin, blind to God. God takes off the veil, breaks away the shackles, gives us sight, sets us free, so as to stitch us back together. Okay, how does that happen? What, what's that really about? Okay, well look. Beholding the glory of the Lord we are being transformed. It doesn't just happen. The, the grammar there is like saying, eating a sandwich, we are being nourished. How do you be nourished? Eat. How do you be transformed? Behold. Behold. And you are being transformed. The grammar here makes clear this is not a once and done thing. It is a process. It's a stitch by stitch renewal. Behold. You want, to be, you want to be made new? You want to be made right? You want to have the gap closed? Behold. Okay, behold what? The glory of God. We are about, your life is about beholding the glory of the Lord. Not learning what to do. There, there are all kinds of commands in the Bible for sure. There's, there's lots of wisdom to live out, yeah, for sure. We need to keep in mind all through reading the commands and all through what I'm actually after here is God. My life, your life, is about beholding the glory of the Lord. That's how you're made new. That's how you're healed and fixed. Where do you do that? Where does God reveal his glory? Well, in part, you can behold the glory of the Lord by looking at nature all around us, where God has made himself known. He has revealed himself in nature, for sure, and you, you can see, you can see him there, and you can, you can get some of the sense of what he is on, on purpose. He's, he's made himself known there, yes, for sure. But particularly, especially more than that, we behold the glory of the Lord in the book, the Bible. As that reveals to us, God's work in Christ. Now, one day we're going to see Christ face to face. And the gap will be closed. You'll be made, you'll be made new. In a, in a heartbeat, made new. But until then, we can't see him face to face. Where do we see him? We see him in the book. Yes, we can see him in nature, for sure. That's good. But we cannot actually accurately understand what we are to discern from nature. And we cannot actually see Christ until we see him in the book that reveals to us, at its core, God's saving gospel. 
as the book is actually about. God and God's work in the gospel. And every chapter and every page is like a gigantic spider web, all roads leading back to the middle. Christ and Christ crucified and raised for you. We, we know those things. You know those truths. And, and they are ours. They are in our heads. But the Spirit somehow uniquely uses His unique tool is the book. All 66 books of this book. The Bible. And as we open it up, the Spirit of the Lord is pleased to use His sword, the Scriptures, to, to poke into us and, and divide us from wrong thinking and wrong motives and to open us up and, and plant in their sight, sight of God. He's the one we're looking for as we open this up. And that's how the Spirit of God reveals to us Jesus. We can't see him with our physical eyes. We can see him here. Beholding the glory of the Lord in nature around, for sure, but especially and particularly in the book as it reveals to us Christ's gospel. And we should not do that by ourselves. We should do that with other people in the community of the church. This is how we behold the glory of God. We look for Christ in the Bible and we live out the gospel with other people all around us, looking for God, beholding him, beholding him, beholding, which is a different word from glancing, a different word from giving a nod to, a different word from setting aside after I you know, looked at it once. Gazing at, being intent and thoughtful towards. Sometimes I think somebody like me talks about something like this, and what comes off is, well, I better study my Bible. And that's kind of how it comes off. Well, I better study my Bible. Let me kind of like go back to the beginning. Are you bothered by the gap between what you're supposed to be and what you actually are? And do you want that healing? Do you have some idea of what a, a real, live, perfect person would be like? You've seen Jesus at work in the book. Read, read about that. Do you see it? Some idea what that would be like and, and how that would be so desirable and so good to be myself like that or our family like that or our church family like that, to be amongst like that. Yeah, you want that? Behold the glory of the Lord. Not because you've got to study your Bible, but because you want to be changed, fixed, healed. And this is where he's going to show himself by the Spirit of God, where he's going to show himself to you, show himself to your heart and make you new. 
So to pick up the book, indeed go out into nature and, and look at nature for sure and hang out with other Christians and discuss for sure, but pick up the book and look at it and gaze at it and look into it looking for God, not just information. See, so you, you pick up any passage, I've talked about this before, you pick up any passage and what you look into it and find is here's the God who has promised. Here's the God who delivers to me. Here's the God who holds out in front of me. What a God of grace. What a God of mercy. What a God of power. What a God for me. And you're beholding and seeing glory. That makes us new. Because that's how God made us. We always become like what we behold. If instead of the book, something else fills your vision, you'll become like that. You will. That's how God made us. So thankfully, God's done what needed to be done. He opened up the book to us by taking away blinders, by unveiling our hearts, by giving us his spirit to show us this passage, that passage, this God in these truths to make us new. Why did he do that? Because he's a gloriously good God. Knew what you needed and couldn't get yourself and in love acted on you to save you and open your eyes and begin the process of making you once again glorious. Promising one day to finish the job. That is good news. And if that will fill your mind and become what lives right here at the surface for you, it'll make you very bold and very confident. This is the God for you. I, I don't know what, what else to say. I, I wanted, I, I hoped to, in some ways, remove the, the kind of, I think, burdensome, get out there and talk to people, and to remove the burdensome study your Bible, and to replace it with behold, find glory, be filled with hope. It comes from the Scriptures by the Spirit working in you and leads to speaking about this to others. If we were to become a church like that, this would be an awesome place. It's an awesome place already. I love our church. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical here. But can you imagine? That would be a sweet community to be, to be a part of. A group of people that does not live by obligation and burden, but, by, but lives standing on hope, delighted in it, and chatting about it clearly and frankly to everybody. I want to be a part of a church like that. So I'm going to pray. Join with me now. I'm going to pray that God would take chapter 3, press it into us as hope, 
Show us some of his glory and change us and make us a community that is very bold. So I'm going to pray for now. Pray with me. Lord, I, I can preach about these things. We can read about these things. But the whole point of these verses is that it comes from the Spirit. So we ask you, Father, would you send your Spirit in power to each of us and to us as a whole. Maybe some of us have particular needs in particular situations. Deal with us individually as needed. But for all of us as a whole, would you make us a people intent on beholding your glory? <clears throat> and give us eyes to see. Would you make us a people filled with this chapter 3 new covenant hope? Would you make us a people then who are supremely happy, who are being made new, and who are very bold? We're all in a bunch of different contexts. Make us very bold in our particular spheres with the friends and the family members and the acquaintances and workmates and neighbors that you've placed around us. Use us as a light in this valley for other people. But again, start that by showing us your glory and making us new. So thank you for your work. We ask you for more work. And we pray this in Christ's name who's made it all possible. You are good. We are thankful. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.